welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living with this disease. Today's guest, Rob Howe, is a fellow podcaster who recently announced a project that is near and dear to my heart. This episode is summed up by this comment, you're always happiest when you're helping other people, and I couldn't agree more. But before we dive in, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit charitable organization. Funds raised to help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently or click the donate link on my website. Number two, stay engaged on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter and subscribe to my newly updated YouTube channel where this episode will be live. All right, enough rambling. Let's get started. I want to welcome today's guest, Rob Howe, to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. Rob and I know each other in circles, DOC, but this is the first time we've really connected. I think you're actually, and we'll get into this, but the first podcaster that I've done a podcast with. (laughs) Oh man! Well, what an honor! And thank you so much for having me. And you're right; we uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and associates, uh, given our like physical proximity to each other. Obviously, you you up in Oklahoma, and me just a couple hours south in Dallas. So excited to uh, to be on the show! And thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I want to start. I started out most episodes with your diagnosis story, just because we're all diagnosed with the same disease, but it, we all come about it in different ways. So let's uh, let's hear about it. Yeah. So January 1st, 2005, happy new year. I I came downstairs and I was 16 years old at the time. And my mom looked at me and was like, I was nauseous. I like threw up. And my mom looked at me and was like, we got to go to the doctor. Like something's wrong. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure, you know, many of your, of your guests will either have like family member or a friend or, you know, a nurse in the family would be like, Oh yeah, you know, you, we got to get you to a doctor. My mom kind of always had a spidey sense of, you know, health with the kids and she's like, something's off. So we went to the urgent care uh, and they tested my blood sugar, kind of did the regular labs. And they're like, Hey, we think you have diabetes. You should go immediately to children's medical center. But wait, let me say something really quick, because we both know now having them test your blood sugar at urgent care. That's pretty rant. I mean, that's like, even with regular, I mean, people are fighting right now to say, every time I come to the doctor, I want to have my blood sugar tested. So did you find that abnormal now that you're older? It's interesting. I, I think, you know, they, I obviously had put my symptoms down, oh, okay. uh, you know, on the check-in paperwork. So I, I imagine that was probably one of the two or three question or, you know, options that they kind of went yeah. with, right. Just from the jump. So I, I don't think it was that uncharacteristic or out of, out of the ordinary given the symptoms, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, obviously as we know now, you know, frequent urination, weight loss, thirst, fatigue are all pretty innocuous symptoms on their own. Right. But when they're all together, uh, you know, and you can quickly find yourself in diabetic ketoacidosis, you know, it can be pretty dangerous. And so, you know, for me at the time, my mom owned a Curves franchise. So she worked a lot in the health and wellness space and with a lot of people with type 2 diabetes, but we didn't really know anything about type 1 diabetes. And so... For me, that ride, 20-minute drive from the urgent care to Children's Medical Center was, I don't know, it was a little bit emotional and it was rainy and like the postal Mm. service was on the radio and it was just kind of like, is uh, what's going to happen to me? And I kind of was fearing those unknowns. And, you know, most of our fears lie in anticipation. I think the quote is, our greatest fears lie in anticipation. And for me, that was like, can I still do what I want to do with my life? And 16 years old, got my whole life in front of me. And like, what is this going to mean for me? And I was pretty emotional and, and, and afraid about it at the time. And 
when I got to the hospital at Children's Medical Center of Dallas, you know, having spoken to so many people on my podcast over the years and just in the community, I, I now know that my my diagnosis experience was best in class. My doctors and my care team were encouraging. They took the time to walk myself and my family through treatment options. I stayed a couple extra days for them to teach me how to count carbs, worked with a nutritionist, like learn all the ins and outs. And how many total days were you there? I think three days. So, okay. you know, it's funny. I got diagnosed on New Year's Day. And so you're on Christmas break or the, or the New Year holiday for in high school. But I got out of the hospital the day before I was supposed to go back to school. So I didn't even get to miss any school. <laughs> so I was a little <laughs> bit like salty about that, I think as a 16 year old. But yeah, I was there for three days. And you know, I was kind of like ready to get out of there by the last day. But I I remember the first insulin injection they gave me in my IV drip. I just felt so good. I was like, uh -huh. oh my God, whatever this was, you guys fixed it. Cool. See you later. I'm good. Right. I'm fixed now. Uh, and then obviously I learned, you know, that this is a chronic illness and it's going to be a lifetime of, of management. And, you know, for me though, the, the, the thing that stuck with me and the reason that I say I had, you know, one of the best experiences you can have is... My care team and my doctors from the first second told me that whatever dreams I had for my life were still within reach as long as I managed my diabetes. And so Instead I know not everybody hears that. Yeah, no, it's not a death sentence. It's like, hey, listen, you can really... That's incredible. Well, sure. And, and I and I agree. I mean, and, and that was really all I needed. And I think for me, like my motivation was I, I wanted to play basketball at a high level. And so once I found out that I could do that, as long as I took care of my diabetes, man management of that diabetes and the day-to-day -day sort of just became the gateway to whatever I wanted. And so that framing was important for me in my achiever brain, just the way that I learn. Diabetes resonates with me. I understand inputs and outputs and yeah. what one, if I do these things right, it allows me to do the other things. And so, you know, I've, I've spoken about it a lot. Like diabetes sort of resonates with my brain and how I think and how I am. And I'm lucky that that's what I was diagnosed with because if it had been something else that maybe was very different, it, it might not have, might not have resonated so much. So yeah, I don't know that, you know, when you think about like, destiny and fate and all these things. Like, I don't, I don't want to say like, I was destined to have this or whatever. Right. It was fine that it happened to me. Certainly I would give it away if I could, but you know, I had a, a really good onboarding and, you know, my care team was encouraging. And, you know, as I've grown older and lived with the disease for a long time and encountered some of those obstacles, you know, I've kind of been the poster child for positivity with diabetes as well. Right. Um, I played, I got a four-year scholarship to the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs and played professional basketball for a year and a half afterwards. And I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a speaker and all this cool stuff, but you know, diabetes is hard. It's a heavy burden to carry. And, mm. and I also recognize that everybody is different. And I think for me, outside of my diabetes, I'm able-bodied. I like to be active. I like to do all these things. And I've learned over the years, thanks to the community that, you know, not everybody is as lucky as me within the Facts. diabetes world. And I still want to care and represent those people who are suffering from multiple chronic illnesses or mm -hmm. diabetes complications and, you know, maybe can't be their best self with diabetes because of their circumstances. And, and I think I've learned to kind of soften my approach and to really lead with empathy with those people because they have diabetes too. And, and it doesn't look the same for everyone. It's and true. yeah, I don't know. I think I'm, uh, as I've gotten older and, and made peace with the sort of lifelong aspects of diabetes, I think that's something that I've been you know more focused on recently than, than maybe in the past. I have to say that, so one of my dear friends, his name is Mark, and I'm not going to say his last name because I hope he listens to this, but he was diagnosed with type one at age 19. So professional, not professional, he was in, he was in college, I think in playing baseball, like hardcore athlete and all these things. And sometimes when we talk about 
the diagnosis and do you see it as a blessing or a curse? And everybody's story is so different, but he reminds me that he remembers life prior to type one where I was diagnosed, you know, uh, three weeks after my eighth birthday. So that life is not really, you know, so being 16, do you ever think about that? Like what life was like before? I do. And I talk to a lot of people like you who, you know, we don't, we don't remember things from our childhood, like details. Right. But I think macro concepts for me, the thing that I remember the most that's not diabetes related is, or, or sort of like the before time is I used to just go to Blockbuster and get like whatever candy I would want. And so like my friends and I would have like, I grew up in a suburb of Dallas and we were pretty good, well-behaved kids. So our weekend thing was like, Hey, like, let's take the Blockbuster unlimited membership card and go to Blockbuster, <laughs> grab some candy and like come back to the house and watch a movie. And I would always grab the little Blockbuster tin of, uh, or like plastic, you know, uh, package of gummy worms and i just loved their trolley gummy worms which i still do <laughs> although now i take them medicinally for low blood sugar so uh yes. you know it's just part of my prescription but yeah i think that's what i remember the most i i don't know i don't remember too many details but you know i do remember life before counting carbs uh, i counted every carb <laughs> since 2005 and you know i do remember you know drinking regular soda but those things i don't know it's just a <laughs> Unlike unlike somebody who like you or somebody who was diagnosed like shortly after birth and like truly doesn't remember a childhood without diabetes and yeah. you know their parents had to take care of them at birthday parties and things like that. I again have tremendous empathy for that. But I got to do those things and I'm fortunate for it. And you know, if I had to go back in time and whisper something into my three year old ear, be like, eat more cake, like you're gonna you're <laughs> trust me, like just eat it now, get it out of the way. Uh, I might tell him that. It's so, gosh, so many things on that. Like I remember whenever I switched from NPH and regular, and so I had to learn how to count carbs. And I'd been on that regimen for since diagnosis. And and I didn't switch until gosh, my mid twenties, early twenties. And I was like, let me get this straight. So I go from two shots a day to like maybe five. And now I have to count every freaking carb. Like what is going on? The bonus to that was I did lose a lot of weight. (laughs) (laughs) so I I took that as a win at the end of the day, but it's just one of those things. And because I say that, like with every couple of years, our diabetes management changes or can change. And I know that like you or like me, you are in the trenches. And so, you know, everything that's coming up and about. So if you don't mind share, uh, please share what your current diabetes management regimen is. Yeah. My current diabetes stack, so to speak. So I, I did, what many people in the community have have done and I learned about from the community and uh, and I'm on currently what's called a pump break. I manage my diabetes primarily through pumps. I got on one in 2009, I think, and I resisted it at first because I didn't really understand them. I thought that they'd yeah. like, be surgically implanted and I know that they used to have like ports mm-hmm. and things like that that, uh, that people would use. And so I resisted it at first, but once I got on it, I found it to be much more convenient than just giving all of the injections. So I wore a pump for 15 years and my current pump is the Medtronic MiniMed 770G. And I also use the Guardian 3 sensor. And so they uh, they, they have the hybrid closed loop algorithm and, right. and, I, and I run on auto mode most of the time, I think like 95% of the time. But in this summer, so in May, 2022, I guess even backing up before that, I had switched this year to a Lumjev, which is a rapid acting insulin from Lilly. It's their version of Fiasp is I guess more popular, maybe the yeah. Novo version, but it works fast, but it has like a little burn. And like when you give the injection, you feel it a little bit. It's not painful, but you notice it. And 
it was giving me a lot of lipohypertrophy. So if you're listening and you don't know what that is, lipohypertrophy is basically insulin scar tissue under your skin mm -hmm. from insulin injections. And when you wear pump sites, many people experience, like if you don't rotate them often enough, if you use the same site over and over, you can develop little lumps under your skin that feel like scar tissue. And what I didn't know about Lumjev is that when it, you use it in a pump, it can cause more intense lipohypertrophy than Humalog or Novolog or some of the older insulins. So again, live and learn, living and learning with diabetes. So my pump sites got really damaged and I had to switch the infusion set I was using. And so I decided that I wanted to try to take a break. And so this summer I've taken a break to the InPen from Medtronic. They acquired Companion Medical in 2020. And so I'm using the InPen, which is a smart insulin pen. Uh, it connects to the app on my phone, which also in includes the CGM, the Guardian Connect standalone Medtronic system. So that's what I'm using today. And I think in November, at the end of November, my plan is to switch back over to my 770G. So uh, fortunately, uh, so this is good news. My sites have healed a lot. Uh, my lipohypertrophy, sweat like irritation has gone way down. And so mm -hmm. I feel much better about that. And yeah, so I think uh, probably in starting in December, I'll switch back to my 770 and go from there. I have to say one thing, and I've said this on a couple of podcasts, just because I'm a huge fan of NPEN and worked with Companion Medical ages ago. And with that being said, I'll never forget being around some peds endocrinologists. And I was asking them if they knew about the product and would they recommend it? And one of them said, I don't find the value in it. Who forgets? Because I, you know, she said, who forgets giving a shot? I was like, are you kidding me? Like literally everyone. I mean, like, I have a whole system down to where I leave a pen needle in certain spots. So I know, and you know, I mean, it's just like, when you do this all the time, it's just so difficult. So it's just, I'm great. It's, it makes me so happy to hear people like you and quite a few other folks using the end pen because I see the value in it. The app is, I mean, it's just like a pump, right? Like, so right. you can see when your doses were last night. I, you know, I, I, I saw an arrow down on my CGM. I went to my app. I looked for my insulin on board and I didn't have any insulin on board. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm probably going to smooth sail through this. No problem. Right. But without that information, you know, you just have, it's more difficult to make decisions. So I agree. I think uh, if you love multiple daily injections and you haven't tried the InPen, I would ask your doctor about it. I think it's really, it's really cool and tech forward. And it feels like when I open the box, it kind of feels like an iPad or a cell phone or something. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's nice. And you, you get it out and it works. And I, I've been a bit, it's, I've been a big fan of it. And, you know, I am a Medtronic spokesperson, but this is my real opinion. I really do like the InPen and appreciate you saying a, that. Yeah. 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 I've had a great experience on it. And, uh, yeah, if I don't use it, I don't recommend it. So that's that's kind of my go-to. Which I'm, I'm so with you on that. I want to bring up one other thing that does not get enough attention, in my opinion, in the doctor's office. And again, nobody's paying me to say any of this. This is just real talk with uh, about the type 1 diabetes is a Frezza. I mean, oh, yeah. let's talk about inhaled insulin. I just got back on that and I don't use it in every day, but something you said recently on a podcast about when you use it and why, like I'm the same way in... And just, uh, there's so many things there. So you're an Afreza user at times. I am. Yeah. So I, I also have a partnership with Mankind. So I need to disclose that. But okay. yeah, again, I'm not going to push. I'm not going to tell you guys I like something if I if I don't use it yeah. um, and I don't actually like it. So an interesting thing for me that a very high ranking, like global chief medical officer uh, who I got to meet and I'll keep his name private because he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but like <laughs> he and I were talking after a recent event. And he was like, Rob, like you have to understand that you, and I would I'll also put you, Amber, in this, like you are not who we designed these products for. Right. Because you guys are 
you know, type A, you're motivated. You're like very on top of your own management. You have your own little systems. Like you've got your little pen caps in different parts of the house. Like (laughs) I've got, you know, my notepad or whatever. And, you know, I'm very hands-on with my management. And he's like, we're designing these products to help give the outcomes that you guys get to people who are disengaged, who have been labeled non-compliant, who are really having a tough time. And so, you know, he's like, when you see these studies coming out of like impact, these aren't people like you guys who have already like tried everything. And who are already very aware of all of the therapies on the market. So I know I'm mean, back to your question. So for me, like in my insurance company doesn't understand why I need two types of insulin. They don't understand right. why I want inhalable insulin. But like I mentioned on that podcast, when I'm in a meeting all day and I need to come down from a high blood sugar and I want to do it quickly, I will take a Frezza because it's ultra rapid acting. Yeah, that's on label. It's out of your system faster than injectable insulin, which is also yep. on label. And for me, like the peace of mind I can get from a quick fix, like an instant gratification of a high blood sugar, which I hate. I don't know. Like some people say like, well, which would you prefer highs or lows? I was like, dude, I give me lows all day long. I hate <laughs> feeling high, hyperglycemic. It's awful. So, you know, getting out of that is important to me. And same thing on like a plane. If I'm on a plane, I can't, yeah. you know, they, they typically frown upon people doing lunges up and down the, uh, up and down yeah. the, the aisles in the plane or doing like a, you know, jogging. So I like to make sure that my, uh, I use a Fresno and I keep it on me. And what I, the way I talked about it is like, it's part of my diabetes toolkit. I don't use it for every meal. I don't use it every day sometimes, but when I need it, I use it and it really helps me. So uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Well, let me just say, cause I never thought about it like this. So I use it for, I'm perimenopausal cause I'm in my forties and menopause starts a lot earlier for us with T1D. And so my blood sugars in the morning sometimes can be really high and I can't control that. And instead of wanting giving Novolog or an injection in the middle of the night or early mornings, I've used a Fresa for that. But with you saying plane, being on a plane, I think about how many times in my life I've been like, okay, this is rocky. Do I shoot up here in front of everybody? The bathroom's too small to do, I mean, to give an inject. I mean, it's just like all these other factors. So good on you for saying the plane, because I am totally going to use that. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think too, like, like you said, some people don't like doing injections in public. Sometimes there's just not enough space. I had a friend who shared on Instagram, she was at a concert and like yeah. on a field. And so there's people bumping around and, you know, you don't want to get bumped into while you're giving an injection. And yeah. he used the Frezza and it's like, okay, yeah, it's a low profile way for you to get what you need and continue moving on with your life. And yeah, I, I think it's again, something that not a lot of people know about. I certainly didn't know about it until I got more involved with the with the community and it took a long time. And so part of the work that I'm doing with Afreza and with Mankind is uh, talking to HCPs and, and doctors and endos at conferences to talk to them about the different ways that I use Afreza and that their patients may benefit from. Even if they're having great outcomes on an injectable insulin or on a pump, having this as a backup or sort of a break mm-hmm. glass in case of emergency or just a little you know helper in your toolkit, I think is tremendously helpful. Well said. And one of the reasons why I fight with the diabetes caucus is like, everybody should have access to whatever they need to manage their diabetes that best serves them. And again, same diagnosis, but different ways to to treat it. And yeah, I mean, we talk, we talk about so how it doesn't look the same for everyone, but yeah. you know, in practice, they try to make it very standardized. And I understand why they're doing that. Sure. But you know, I think again, you have to learn to advocate for yourself. And I'm very fortunate. Again, like I have commercial insurance through my companies. I pay for all my employees premiums and my own. And 
I, I know that not everybody has that. Uh, so I'm careful to say like, you know, make sure that make yeah. sure to definitely add this. But if you can talk to your doctor and see what you can see what you could do, because, uh, you know, I think it has been tremendously beneficial to me. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to hire anyone, I'm available. <laughs> if you're if you're providing good insurance, I mean, that's like such a big deal. I'm kidding. But okay, <laughs> no, I, I want <laughs> to jump into. So if you're listening to this podcast, and you don't know who Rob is. You've obviously been living under a diabetes rock. So can, let's talk a little bit about your professional career because like me, you have used your diagnosis and it's a career path for lack of a better term and you're doing the greater good. And we're going to go into some serious projects here in a second, but yeah, let's talk about what you're doing. Yeah. So in 2015, I started Diabetics Doing Things. And at the time, it was a podcast, just a podcast, uh, it, which it still is. And we published an episode today and we continue to do that. And it really stemmed from like a conversation that I had with my dad when I was like 17 and I was volunteering for like National Honor Society and I was trying to figure out like where to put my time. And my dad said something that stuck with me and he said, hey, Rob, you know, it seems like you're always happiest when you're helping people. So he's like, start there. And, you know, so I remembered that and I was on this amazing trip that I got to take through my last job through the International Center for Journalists. So I was in Colombia for two weeks on a work exchange. And so I had a lot of time to myself and, you know, I was sitting in my hotel room because I like, you know, had curfews and there were things with the trip and insurance and stuff. So I'm sitting in my hotel room and I had a lot of time to think and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to help people. That's, you know, my career is going good. My personal life is going good. Like I have, you know, these interests, like, but there's nothing that I'm doing that's giving back to other people yet. So how do I do that? And as I was sitting there, like my insulin pump just kind of came clattering out of my pocket. I was sitting in like a big lounge chair. And, you know, as those of you who wear tube pumps know, like sometimes you sit in the car or you sit in a chair and your pump falls out. And so there it was, it was my sign sitting on the floor. I was like, well, maybe my story as an athlete can help somebody else like me with diabetes. And I thought of when I was diagnosed, I immediately went to, to search for people who were doing the thing I wanted to do with diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, you know, I was going to raise my hand and say, hey, I have diabetes. My name's Rob and I'd like to, you know, get involved with the community. And then I also had to be honest with myself because I knew if I I found some bloggers out there, some of who I have, have become good friends. And I was like, okay, well, if I start a blog, like that's a great way for me to write exactly zero blogs. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I love talking to people. And I thought uh, I had just listened to Serial, the podcast uh, that, I mean, ultimately just recently re- resulted in Adnan Syed's sentence being commuted, which is amazing. And, you know, podcasts were back on the, the up and up uh, and, and the wave. And I was like, okay, I'd love to try that. Never done one. Uh, and here we are almost 250 episodes later. So yeah, that that has been the start. And now... You know, I've spoken at like 28 JDRF type one nations. I've gone to diabetes camps. I've worked with all the major nonprofits. I've, you know, gone to all of the conferences and, and I, you know, just kind of found myself thinking, man, like we're not really reaching the people who need the most help. Mm. And, you know, people in the diabetes online community, I mean, obviously all of us need community. We all need education. We all need inspiration. But if you're listening to this podcast and, or you're, interacting with us on social media, you are in like the 1% of people with diabetes. You're engaged, you're, you're searching, you're seeking, uh, and you're looking for people like you. And, you know, from there, uh, I was just like, okay, well, how do we reach these people who aren't engaged? Like, they're not going to see my podcast. They're not going to go searching for my Instagram. They're not going to be doing this stuff. And ultimately, like, we've got to help the people who need it most. So what I've kind of come up with, and we've run our first sort of pilot test. Now, I I know you kind of teased that earlier, but we'll, we'll talk about it here. Is like, how can we build practical applications for people with diabetes? 
And, you know, you hear the stat all the time, right? Like one in three people in the United right. States live with some sort of diabetes from pre-diabetes to type two to type three C to mm -hmm. Modi to Lada to type one. And, you know, we're learning about all these other ones all the time. And the average person just hears the word diabetes. They think immediately it's the same thing. And more specifically, people that have eaten too much sugar or they're obese. So, right. I mean, and, you know, there's a ton of stigma. The, the, the challenge yeah. with diabetes stigma is that there's 30, 40 years of bad information that yeah. everybody has been delivered via mass media and other things. So it's hard. And I think like the really difficult part is that it becomes the onus of the person with diabetes, whether no matter what kind is explaining yeah. it to people who don't know. And it feels very invasive. And I understand that. And yeah, I mean, the reality is that a lot of people have live with type two. That's the bulk of it. Are those people less deserving of care and information and community? I say no. And you know, other people have their their takes on that as well. But I think again, practical applications. We don't have to we don't have to change, we don't have to cure all these people. We we obviously can't. So how do we make their life a little bit easier or help them get to the right information or right. make a connection that's either recommending a new therapy or product or experience and doing a little bit of good positive momentum. So where to start, you know, as a person, as a team of, you know, I, it's me. And then I have uh, two amazing, you know, part-time staff, Eritrea and Ashley, who, who helped me uh, with the podcast and, and, you know, running the social channels and, and just with project management. And we asked ourselves the, the tough question, how do we reach the people who aren't engaged with diabetes social media? And if one in three people live with diabetes in North Texas or in the US or where I have you, then I was like, okay, well, I got to find some nonprofits locally who help a lot of people because it's a numbers game. If you help a lot of people, then you help a lot of people with diabetes. It's just, just how it works. Yeah. So I started looking around for really great nonprofits here in North Texas and Dallas. And I found North Texas Food Bank. They are always in write-ups every year on North Texas Giving Day. They're you know, they help and they feed 1.5 million families in North Texas through their network of food banks every year. That's great. And so I'm like, okay, cool. 1.5 million. Well, let's divide that by three. Cool. Yeah. 500,000. We could be talking to 500,000 people who live with some kind of diabetes. So and let's, and let's be honest in those situations. And this is not a, I mean, I'm going to say this is PC as possible. Like if you are picking up food from the food bank, you're probably the, the demographics there. And there's some other factors there that you're at higher risk. And yeah. th so you are really meeting the market that needs to hear this, this kind of stuff. Okay. So keep going. So regional food bank, you're in. Okay. Well, and you know, just just to kind of reiterate that point again, like underserved communities, absolutely, like there's dispro 100%. disproportionate for sure. Also, though, something that I hadn't thought about that we've learned really early on from the response to this effort is that it's also people who are over the age of sixty, yep. so seniors with diabetes. underserved, yep. under very underserved, and there's a lot of them. And so <laughs> I think even me, like those people are just not on Instagram. They just don't. They're they're right. like cool. I'm not that. You know that I'm I'm past that. I'm not going to do it. I don't understand it. So of course they're not on diabetes Instagram. Of course they don't listen to podcasts. Like they're just set in their ways. So how do we meet them where they are? So anyway, rewind. So North Texas Food Bank helps 1.5 million people in North Texas. Cool. Uh, they have this, this framework and logistics to be able to deliver information. So I thought, hmm, who do I know? Could I, do I have some contacts? So I reached out to my network, found out that I knew somebody who worked there. Yeah. Just from, you know, fringe, like loose ties from, yeah. from some, you know, honestly through Dallas Comedy House, who, you know, a person who I had taught years ago. <laughs> and so I, I reached out, grabbed lunch. I pitched her the idea. I was like, hey, I want to put a print material in your, your kits. 
yeah. is that possible? Tell me, is like, is that a thing that you guys would do? Could we partner as a community organization? She was like, it's not my area, but I will, you know, refer you on. And so I talked to I talked to some people, got some, you know, good thoughts on the idea. And then it became, I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna have to go raise some money to cover the print costs. We'll cover the design and the web. That's what we do. That's what I do in my real job as a guy who works in advertising. And so, yeah, we designed this cool print piece. Uh, Beyond Type 1 funded us, uh, gave us five grand to uh, to print 90,000 rack cards, uh, postcards awesome. that, that we've then put in kits that are going out uh, to North Texas Food Bank. And it basically just says like, do you, do you live with diabetes in English and Spanish? Uh, mm-hmm. It has a QR code that takes you to a really simple experience that uh, gives you some information, critical diabetes information in North Texas, endocrine offices that we have vetted and know are good, clinics that you know, support all of the government assistance as well. So you can go get free meds if you need it. Community websites, JDRF, Beyond Type 1, videos on living with diabetes, right. you know, links to some podcasts and community stuff, mutual aid, a link to mutual aid diabetes <laughs> if you're in need of supplies. And ultimately just like giving you a kind of one cheater on, you know, based on your answers in the, in the form of whatever you might need. And it also, you know, allows you to link us, link up with us uh, to ask questions and we'll help you basically one-on-one. So we've had, a lot of respondents, they're all over the age of 60 and uh, they've been lovely people. And we've been able to at least, you know, connect them to hopefully some information that can help them. So back to practical applications, this was not a huge cost. We'd have to build a framework or infrastructure. Right. We just bolted on a little bit of diabetes messaging in a positive way to a population of people who we were able to reach through amazing partners like the North Texas Food Bank. Well, and what I love about this too is the partnerships. And if you're not familiar with the DOC, that's Diabetes Online Community and working with you and your message when it came out, I think I saw it on LinkedIn. I was like, holy, because I I work at a food pantry. I volunteer at a food pantry. <laughs> oh, let me rephrase that. And all the other things. And I see the disparities there. So I feel like this is such a no-brainer. And so I'm using your model, thank you, to help bring that into the state of Oklahoma. And I hope that we and everybody else in the DOC, I'd like to see this in all 50 states. I mean, it's, and I don't even know, maybe on a global level, I don't know how else to word that, but so much potential to reach out so many people that might not know that they have diabetes or what questions to ask. And of course, I mean, yeah. you're exactly right. I And I also, I think during the ideation phase, I was like, okay, cool. This easily could be rolled out to Feeding America in all 50 yeah. states. And we just had different chapters. It's very scalable. And I had, and I think, you know, for me, I've always thought big first uh, yeah. and I've always thought digital and web first. That's just my personality. But for me, like this brief was like, how do I help people with diabetes in Dallas? And so it was like, I got to help. These are my people. This is my home. This is where I live. How do I focus on that? And I thought, and I still think when we get this perfect, when we get and it doesn't have to be perfect, but when we get it really well, well done and we get integrated and we're starting to see real numbers, that's the ticket for us to expand at least nationwide. And then also, you know, look at sister organizations worldwide where we can do some of the same work. So yeah, I appreciate your your great, you know, feedback and, and also, you know, pushing that forward because that's what it's going to take. This is not a a one person operation. This is a community effort. And again, practical applications for people with diabetes can make a huge difference. And I think I'm just encouraged when I talk to other people like you who obviously give of themselves and have creative interests within the diabetes space and put this effort 
just to connect with other people and tell other people's stories. I mean, that's what I want. I want to activate this network of creators and amazing people with diabetes who want to give back, but just haven't quite found the project or the mission that really resonates with them. And I think, you know, the other pieces innately in diabetes, you start with the nonprofits as you start to get involved. And that's because of their pillars in the community. JDRF, for example, like, you know, basically every regional area in the U.S., you know, now it's a little bit different because after COVID, you know, they they kind of restructured. But in most major markets, there's a JDRF chapter. And if yeah. you have diabetes and, you know, especially if you're diagnosed before the age of 18, you're going to get involved with JDRF at some point, probably. And or um, ADA, American Diabetes and or ADA, Association. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Same thing, JDRF, ADA. On the internet, if you're looking for diabetes, you're going to find Beyond Type 1. And, you know, that's kind of the new wave. You know, but then, you know, they have their own missions, right? Like JDRF is focused on cure and cure research. And right. they're a fundraising organization. They they don't have the ability to do or the staff to do all of these sort of individual community projects. Yep. Neither does ADA. Neither does Beyond Type One. They're all focused on their own in individual agendas. And I think that's where being a community partner to those organizations and saying, "Hey, we're boots on the ground here in Dallas, and you can fund a program or you can sponsor an activity that's going to not just bring good vibes to." people in the community and, you know, find a sense of belonging, but maybe connect the dots for somebody who has been alienated by the system and who really mm-hmm. needs help and doesn't know where to go. And I think that's where, you know, I I really wanted to focus because, you know, pe- when people who are disenfranchised because of their yeah. diabetes and they only engage with it when they go to the hospital, they mm-hmm. are looking for a solution. They're not looking for community yet. They need to be able to manage their diabetes themselves first. And so, you know, giving them as many tools as possible, you know, I think is a a long-term proposition that hopefully uh, we can, you know, start to make a real, real measurable impact nationwide here very soon. Very well said. And that absolutely mirrors every reason why I do what I do. Gosh, I want to ask, I've got a few last questions. Somebody, I was interviewed a few months ago about the fact that not only do I live with type 1 diabetes, but that I work in the diabetes space. So does it, when we talk about diabetes distress and things like that, because I don't get to shut it down in real life or in my professional life. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. One of my great friends at JDRF Dallas, now JDRF North Texas, Oklahoma, told me early on, she's like, you know, be careful. Is it, because t- our- is it Tanya? It's Tanya. Yeah. 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 So she, she told me very early on, she's like, we have our advocates burn out quickly because there's always stuff to do. Yeah. And in the background is you managing your diabetes. So I feel like, mm. you know, she's kind of like my my angel on my shoulder there early on. She warned yeah. me that it could happen, uh, but it absolutely does happen. I can't tell you how many accounts I see that follow me on Instagram, like every month uh, that have like four or five really great, positive, awesome diabetes posts and content. And then, you know, six weeks later, I haven't seen or heard from them again. And I think part of that is because diabetes is super heavy and yeah. life is hard enough as it is. And then adding, you know, a burden of creating something is also, you know, the artist's way is not is not flat and linear. It's very up and down. And so, yeah, I mean, diabetes burnout for diabetes creators, for diabetes volunteers, for diabetes doctors who live with diabetes, you know, it's it can be a lot. So, you know, I think for me, I have less burnout from diabetes than than sometimes I just have from the general society or just like yeah. living in 2022. But, you know, diabetes is always a part of it. So, you know, I if you feel burnt out out there or you're trying to find energy outside yourself for a product or a project or a community event to just go to, I get that. And I wouldn't judge yourself for it. But I'd also say like, you know, life begins on the other side of your comfort zone. And sometimes 
a friend with diabetes is a friend indeed. So the more diabetes work you do, the more friends with diabetes you make. And that makes things a whole lot easier to manage when you can sort of share those burdens with each other. So I'd encourage you if you're out there feeling burnt out, but you're afraid of getting more burnt out by working more with diabetes, I'd say lean into it and see where it takes you. Because I think you'd find like you, a lot of people who understand what it's like to be burnt out, understand what it's like to give of yourself and still have to manage your diabetes every day. I mean, it just is what it is. Today, I, I don't know what it was. I was just, insulin was just running through me like water. Uh, <laughs> our carbs were just running through me like water. I was like just low all day. It just happens. Yeah. And certainly it was annoying and it probably won't happen tomorrow. But, you know, it's just another day with diabetes. I think it's wonderful. And I will say that, especially with my friends and family, when I started the blog and I'd like you, I, the podcast was a much better fit because even though I liked writing it was like a journal entry and I didn't want to share that level of intimacy with people that would read it. I, I think I did an okay job there, but the podcast and sharing my story, my friends and family have said, we never really knew who you were. Hmm. And so it's like, that's what I love about connecting with people and who walk the walk, even though our journeys are very different, but again, finding people like you and we're all doing great things. And so I want to end with, because one one of the many reasons I wanted to record this with you is I totally dig your advocacy efforts and look forward to a long-term partnership, hopefully with getting this out there. How can we get people involved? And if you're listening, this is your like angel moment or that little tap on the shoulder. If we don't speak up and if we don't discuss these things, not nothing will change. And I want my life to be continuously improved. And I'm sure you do as well. And how do we help the underserved? And for those people who just maybe not feel like they have a voice. So what can we do? It's a good question. The first is I think grow where you're planted. I think mm-hmm. like for me, this whole idea came from living in Dallas and helping people here and diet with diabetes who live with diabetes, who don't follow me on Instagram, who don't know who JDRF or beyond type one or ADA right. are and who are just going from day to day. And I thought if I leave them behind, then, you know, I'm not doing anything that's worthwhile. And that's my own words. So, you know, don't, don't take that. But I would say grow your plan to start local. I would, uh, that was always my, uh, when I would go speak about, you know, how to get involved in the community, you know, Tanya was my connection early on who mm-hmm. empowered me to, to get involved and to mm-hmm. say, Hey, yeah, this is a welcome place for you. And without her, you know, encouragement early on, it would have been a lot more difficult for me to get it, get as involved as I have been. I'd say, you know, for getting involved with projects like this, I'd say, keep it, Keep your eye on diabetics doing things over the next six months. We are dramatically folding over the evolution of our company uh, in a meaningful and impactful way. Uh, we're going to be a different kind of media company. Uh, you and I were talking about this kind of on the back end this week, but we're a we're a for profit company. We're we pay creators to make their yeah. art. It's for it's by people with diabetes for people with diabetes. And, you know, we're focused on practical applications. Uh, we have community partners like JDRF, ADA, and Beyond Type 1 who we are going to continue to organize with and continue to work alongside, as well as true community partners like Mutual Aid Diabetes who are focused on getting supplies through yeah. a network of peers who can just help and lend a hand. And so sitting in the middle there is an interesting space. And I'm excited to continue to leverage some of the the work that we do with advertisers to deliver practical applications for people with diabetes who need it most. And uh, so yeah, keep it keep an eye on our Instagram, Diabetics Doing Things. Uh, if you want to sign up for our email list, that's another good way. And I'm going to go to those people when I need them, uh, when, when I need to organize, that's where I'm starting. And so if you want to be one of those first people, 
that uh, that works with us, that's that's where I would go. And you know, be patient with us. But I'm uh, my wheels are spinning behind the scenes. I'm working. Uh, <laughs> so I look terrible. Uh, my attitude is bad <laughs> because I'm putting that work in. And I and I think uh, for that's for me what it takes. And that's how I know that I'm doing something that's meaningful. Is that even if I'm not making a bunch of progress, I'm still waking up and returning back to the work and. You know, even just some of the small impact that we've been able to have over the past seven years, I know it's making a difference uh, to even just to one or two people. If that's all it was, it would still be worth it for me to do. So, yeah, I just all that to say, that was a, not a great answer. Along with diabeticsdoingthings.com, that's where we're at. Well, and I want to say, I'll end with this. I had a woman, a parent, contact me recently, and I know that you are contacted often who listened to one of my past episodes with Patricia Daker, who has a very positive. Yeah, it has a very positive attitude. And this is why I keep the lights on here for me. And how I keep doing my stuff is this parent was saying, listening to that interview, hearing someone living with type 1 diabetes as an adult and how they've kept up that positive attitude gives her hope, I believe, for her 11-year-old son. And so good on you and good on all the other people that are sharing these stories because so many people need to hear them. And I'm happy to surround myself with people like yourself who are using this diagnosis to do something positive. It's not a death sentence. It's just a different way of living life. And and you can do whatever you want. You can. And I also, I'll caveat that with, you know, I've been the poster child for diabetes positivity. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on the posters. I, you know, you can do <laughs> live the life that you want. And I feel depressed. And yeah. I get burnt out. <laughs> and it's difficult for me. I had to go... I had to go to four pharmacies last week uh, and and use a savings card to get a prescription filled because I had to get out of the, I, I was going out of town and I needed I needed my Traceba uh, yeah. filled and I was like God like this is so frustrating I have all the advantages I have all the boxes checked and still I'm having to do all this BS work so <laughs> I see you I feel that I'm a real person with diabetes just like you guys out there and and you know. I, if you think for one second that Rob Howe has it all figured out because of his little podcast and his social media <laughs> stuff, like you got another thing coming because I'm out there. I'm still there with you. I had some tough blood sugars today and I'll probably have some in another day this week. So yeah, I was a day. shit show today. I totally get it. Yeah, It was supposed to be an easy day. I had to lay down at one point. I was like, this is just ridiculous. I just need to take a deep breath. But um, I honestly, I think that's the best way to look at it. This is just ridiculous. Just so, ridiculous. Yeah, like, let's take, it, let's take a break. Well, thank you again, Rob, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You guys, again, diabeticsdoingthings.com. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, robhow21. And and uh, there I'm more myself and you know than, <laughs> than the brand. So if you guys want to get to know me, that's the way to do it. Nice. It's awesome to connect with someone equally as passionate as I am about serving our community. Rob and his team are doing a killer job. And I hope you will join our efforts to educate the underserved people living with this disease. Just a friendly reminder as I wrap up, I'm here for my diabetes and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I'm-